you have your Bibles with you this morning or that favorite app of yours on your phone, we'll be in Colossians 1. Colossians 1, we'll be reading from verses 15 through 20. It's Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. If you have found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's word? May you hear the word of Christ. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And by him, excuse me, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for gathering us to sing your praises. That, Lord willing, we have taken a moment to check our hearts and our minds and to realize that we are here in your very presence to be able to sing our joyful praises to you. To be able to bring everything that we are and the things that we carry with us to be able to sing them to you. To realize that you are in the midst of us to be able to shepherd our hearts and guide our hearts. And so now as we look through your scripture from Paul's letter, may you continue to speak and to cultivate our hearts in a way in which we can display the richness of your gospel. Because this is packed full with goodness. And Lord willing, we are able to ingest and to be able to percolate over your word this morning and to be able to then take it into our homes and neighborhoods to display it before others. So speak, Lord, by your spirit, speak. Because we are here as your church ready to listen. We offer these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So the theme for May, you know, we've had, uh, this is the third Sunday in May, but we've had a few things happen. One, uh, we had our guest preacher the first weekend in May, um, and then last week we had Mother's Day, so we've had a couple of things tailored towards uh, very special events in the life of the church. But if you remember, uh, we're, we're working through uh, 12 different small things throughout the year May itself, so we'll look at May uh, theme for this week and a May, the May theme for next week would be sustaining creation. Sustaining creation. And if you picked up one of these little uh, sheets in the back at some point in the past few months, you'll see that what we mean by sustaining creation is this. Our food choices, the water that we might conserve, the community gardening that we might do, any composting that we might have, we consider all these ways and many others of how we can sustain God's good creation as we recognize that it is His creation through God that sustains us. 
And so we're going to look at that theme today. We're going to look at that theme next Sunday to try to figure out what it truly means for God to be a sustainer and the one who is sovereign over creation so that we might live rightly in his creation. And so there are a couple of things that I think we need to say, at least introduce this topic before we get into our text in Colossians. Uh, the first is that I think we well understand as the church that God is the maker and creator. We understand that when we look out at creation, we realize that he is the maker and creator of all these beautiful things that we now see turning green and the blossoms and the blooms that we see every single day, even the allergens that we're breathing in, we're not so thankful of. But at the same time, we realize that he has created a very magnificent and beautiful universe. But also it's translated into this, that how might we as his church enjoy his beautiful creation so that we can cultivate it wisely and justly? That's a question I think that we tend to push off. We, we can adore and enjoy creation itself. But for us as the church, how do we step back and say, look at this creation that he has given us and how can we cultivate it with wisdom and with justice so that we can be his church. We can display what it means to be his church. And so we recognize that we are dependent creatures. We're dependent. We depend upon the goodness of God's good creation. We depend on it in so many different ways. The food that you eat every single day, the water that you drink, anything that you consume into your body is because God has created it he has made it and he has sustained it in such a way and that we are nourished by his creation. And you might hear at some point, this might be sort of a, a new age spirituality thing, but it has roots in Christianity if you trace it back far enough, especially into some uh, middle age uh, theologians who referred to earth as mother earth who referred to the sun as brother sun and referred to the moon as sister moon. Have you ever heard that? Well, mother earth, brother sun, and sister moon, you know, this depicts really a close relationship that we truly have with creation. In fact, it's almost like a kinship, like you're kin to it in some sort of way. And if we go back far enough in the scriptures, we'll see that we do have a kinship to the earth. Because it is from the earth that you and I have been made and we have been fashioned in God's image. As Jody pointed out the Sunday school or the, the kids sermon a minute ago, we have been fashioned in his image and likeness. And what we see early on in the story of Genesis is that God takes from the earth and creates from the earth this kind of beautiful image that he has meant to display before the world so that we can demonstrate and be able to show an image to the world who this good creator is. But here's the tension that I recognize and I see in scripture is that yes, we are from the earth. We have our roots within the earth. We live with the earth according to the earth. But at the same time, how might we live with the earth yet also for Christ? Did you hear that? How can we live with the earth according to earth's goodness and for Christ. So that's the question that we're going to be chasing this morning. But I think 
if I'm not mistaken, this is some of the things that Paul is bringing out in Colossians 1. So let's look at that. First thing, verse 15, Paul says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. This word image itself is, the Greek word is icon. It's where we get our English word icon. It is nothing more than something made visible, something tangible. You can touch it. You can see it with your eyes. And so what Paul is doing right here in this single verse is saying that invisible God that we worship, he became visible. He became tangible so that we could touch and actually see him in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. The unseen God becomes seen. The untouchable God becomes touchable. And in fact, going back to what Jody was reading a few minutes ago, uh, this echoes Genesis 1.27. For they, Adam and Eve, the first human beings, were made in the image and likeness of God. So Paul has this in mind when he's talking about Jesus being the image. Well, he's made in the perfect image of God himself. And in fact, he is God himself. And Paul will even say later in Colossians in the third chapter that you are being renewed in the image of your creator. Being renewed, it implies that there's something wiry that's gone wrong. So if there's something broken about this creation, it's not that God has messed up his creation, but we have rebelled and run astray from his goodness. And so something needs to be renewed, namely our hearts and our minds and our entire lives to be reoriented towards our God. And so this renewal is happening even as we are worshiping Christ here, as we are going about our way. Christ is sanctifying us. He is making us into his image and into his likeness. In what way is that? Would you look at a mirror this morning? Probably so, right? Did you see your reflection on the other side of that image? Yeah. You saw your reflection. You saw it mirroring back who you look like. One of the things that we see across the scriptures is that God invites his people to image him, to reflect him in his ways. So where God is just, we are to reflect his justice. Where God is holy, we are to reflect and image His holiness. And we can keep going down His attributes. But we don't do that well. We need His own grace poured into our lives so that we can image and reflect and refract who He is. Well, what else does Paul say about who this Jesus is? Well, He's the firstborn over all creation in verse 15. And in verse 18, He actually says He's the firstborn from the dead. We need to step back for a second and look at this word firstborn. Now, there were plenty of heresies that were happening early on, especially in the Colossian church. There were plenty of heresies that were happening in the second, third century. What I mean by heresy is false teaching about who Jesus was. And so even into our modern day, you will find false teachings about who Jesus is. And hear me out. I'm not saying this so that you can be angry or upset with any of these particular, uh, what we would say, Christian cults. But at the same time, we need to recognize what it is, bless you, what it is that we believe and also recognize what they believe and be able to engage and have conversations and dialogues about what they believe. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses are one of those uh, particular Christian sects that 
are the ones who are teaching a kind of different, not kind of, but very different understanding of who Jesus is. Namely, that Jesus did not exist eternally. He wasn't with God the Father in the beginning. He is, he comes into being when God the Father makes him in the womb of Mary. He doesn't pre-exist that moment. That's what Jehovah Witnesses would teach. That Jesus is in the form of a human being and pretty much namely that and that's it for Jehovah's Witness. Whereas when we pull back and look at the full understanding of the scriptures, the Christian testimony and the Christian witness of orthodoxy and right teaching of who Jesus is, we don't, we don't confess that. What we actually find in John 1, for example, is that he is the word, he was the word, and he has always been the word. Namely, he is the eternal God who has existed with the Father and the Spirit for eternity. So you have differences, and Paul is actually pointing out one of those heresies that were happening within the Colossian church in that day, and it's not any different for even today. And if I could just pull back a moment and say this, heresies or false teachings that you see today in our world, they're not any different from the ones that were happening in the first three centuries. They're just rebranded in a different name. They're the same heresies that cycle and circle again and again. And so we need to recognize that this Jesus is eternal. He has always existed as the Son. And yet, in a very unique way, God the Father sends His Son in the form of a servant, in the person of Jesus, in that moment in time when He decides to reconcile and restore the world to Himself. So that word firstborn, as we understand it in the Old Testament and New Testament, it means two things. Catch this. Firstborn, it means the order of birth. You're the first one born, the order of birth, but also it refers to a special status. Well, what does this mean for Paul in the context that he's using it? Well, Paul is saying that because of Christ, he has come through a very unique way he was born first of Mary, but he also he has a special status. He is supreme Lord. He is sovereign over all things. And so, yes, he is the firstborn over all creation. He has a special status as God in the flesh. Second thing is, firstborn from the dead, what does that mean? He was the first to taste resurrection. He is the first one of the many, namely the church, who will taste resurrection. And so when Paul uses this language of firstborn, don't think that Jesus didn't exist in the past with the Father, but he does exist in the past with the Father, but he then comes in a unique way through the birth of Mary herself. Now, what has this Christ done? The second question that I think we need to wrestle with as it relates to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. What has this Christ done? If you jump down to actually to verse 20, you'll see this. Paul writes, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, to make peace by the blood of his cross. Two words to jump out to you. One, reconcile. The other one, peace. First one, reconcile. You know, when we think of reconciliation, we tend to think of like sacrificial language that this blood has been spilled to reconcile you back to the Father. 
But this particular word in the Greek doesn't mean that. It does in other contexts, but not here. This is actually a Roman word that's very political in its day. And it would mean that two parties are warring. They're in conflict with one another. Yet, somebody comes in and he reconciles the two parties that are fighting and he brings peace. Did you catch what I'm saying there? It's not sacrificial language, it's political language. Two parties fighting, yet somebody comes in, reconciles that conflict as the reconciler. So in the context that Paul is using it, there's a cosmic conflict happening. A cosmic conflict. There's principalities and powers at conflict. What Paul means by that, there's angels and demons fighting. There are other powers, authorities fighting, governments and the like. There's also another type of conflict, a human-God conflict, where human beings have run astray from the goodness of who God is, and they are battling against God. Yet, look at this Jesus who comes in onto the scene, and he reconciles these estranged, conflicted people back to the Father, the ones who were in hostile in mind, as Paul will say later, and he brings reconciliation of those who were estranged back to God the Father. So that's the work that has been done through the cross, the spilling of blood. Now what does this Christ do? Three things we need to take away from this. First, we've already said that he reconciles a estranged people back to the Father. That's the first work that he does. The second work that he does is that he becomes the head of the body, the church. You see that uh, later on in verse, uh, what is that, 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I can certainly testify to it and confess to it. Have you ever had any misguided, misdirected decisions in your life? Probably so, right? You made decisions with your head, and guess what follows? Your body. You made bad choices with your head, and your body follows those decisions. This is the type of metaphor and the image that Paul is trying to bring out. Except the one who is our head, Christ himself, is perfect. He is the one who gives wisdom and guidance and instruction Christ as our head directs and guides our body, namely his church, so that we might live holy, just, and righteous lives. So this God who reconciles us back to the Father is also the head of us. He directs us and guides us towards what holy living looks like, what just living looks like, and what righteous living looks like. And here's the last thing of what Christ does. In verse 16, Paul writes, For everything has been created, notice these prepositions, by him, through him, for him, by him. In other words, Christ was with God the Father in the beginning, creating all things. They're created by him. He wasn't absent. He wasn't, as our Jehovah Witnesses might say, he wasn't there at all. But he was by the Father, helping co-create the universe that we know. Through him, it is through his instruction and guidance with the Father and the Spirit that all of these things come into existence. And lastly, notice this. All these things have been created 
for him. So the world in which you and I participate with every day, we live with every single day, the creation that God has, they have all been created for the glory of Christ himself. And so life, death, resurrection of Jesus, through those things, he has been given authority over all things. You find that in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus comes back to his disciples and he says, The Father has given me authority over all things. It is through that life, death, and resurrection that he has been made sovereign, that he is the Lord over all creation, all areas of life, and he invites us to all of our spheres of living, all the little areas of life that we have to promote them for him. So how can we do this? Let's pull Colossians 1, 15 through 20 as it relates to our theme of sustaining creation. And it, it truly is very simple, this application for sustaining creation. How can the church live for Christ, specifically sustaining creation? I don't know uh, if you have any gardens right now uh, or if you've planned on cultivating some gardens this season, but there is a beauty in being able to cultivate a garden, and there's so much growth that you see, not only in the garden, but in yourself as well. So May truly is a season of gardens. It is a season of planning, of getting crops ready for a season. So how in the world can we plant gardens, not only for our families, and ourselves, but for others. I want you to catch this, church. Go out and talk to your neighbors, to your friends. Ask them what their favorite vegetable or fruit is. Just collect some of those. And then go plant what they enjoy. Whatever plant, whatever fruit, veggie that they enjoy, go and buy those. It takes practically nothing. You can spend all these things for under $5, maybe 10 at the max. Go plant those things so that we can learn not only about God's good creation through the very small and large gardens that we might have, because if you have ever planted a garden, you know that you have to pay attention to the way that the sun moves, right? East to west. But it means you have to cultivate your garden in such a way so that it harnesses all of the sun's energy. But you also learn how to apply your rows in the right way so that this, all of those seedlings can get as much uh, energy as possible. Then you realize that it takes a little bit of work such as water. You can't solely depend on the rains that come. Sometimes we've had a dry summer where you have to water your own garden itself. You also have to pay attention to things like pH balance within your soil the acidity that might be there so that you can best cultivate the vibrancy of whatever plants that you are planting. And lastly, you have to also pay attention to the type of stewardship that you give to the soil. You can't plant year after year after year after year after year for decades because what happens? Nutrients will be diminished. You won't have anything there. So you have to cultivate in a wise and stewardly way. What you'll see is this, this will reconnect us. When you're touching that soil, when you're watering those plants, it'll reconnect you to see the grace of Christ. 
you'll see that in a likewise manner, he cultivates us in very small ways, such as watering us with his word daily, such as giving us grace for that very morning. But you also see the goodness of God in the midst of those seedlings as they grow and grow and mature. You'll see also that it takes a great amount of uh, sustenance and care for his creation to be able to do what it is meant to do. And so as you continue to steward these gardens, plant a garden and see uh, that it takes a great care that God gives to us, but it also takes a great care for us to tend to our neighbors. So as you hear what your neighbors enjoy of those fruits and veggies, you are actually seeing how you can take care of God's good creation and steward it in such a way that you're taking care of your neighbors as well. It is nothing more than the vertical of love of God and the horizontal of love of neighbor that meets together in that soil. And so as you are moving through that stewardship and sustaining of that soil, you're going to draw into a richer and deeper awe of who God is. It, we see it as something as so mechanistic. In other words, we think we just throw a seed in and it just does it by itself. But I think we need to have renewed eyes and see that God is the one who is making all these things grow in such a way that we can be taken care of. And we also see that it brings us into a very more thoughtful and also more intimate care of your neighbor. When we see our gardens as not just for ourselves and our families, but actually to be shared with others. So plant a garden. If you haven't already, plant a garden. And I think, I'll, see, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that you'll see Christ at work, not only in the soil, but also your soul as well, as we cultivate it in such a way to take care of our neighbors and to enjoy God's good creation as well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. For your word this morning that we can pull from the riches of Colossians 1 that we can see that you are the one who is over creation but it's more than that it is by your wisdom that it has been made that it is through you that these things are made Christ and all of these things in creation are meant for your kingdom and your glory and so as we might think this is somewhat insignificant as planting a garden but we're reminded in jeremiah 25 is that as your people were brought out of exile from their homeland and placed in a foreign land under a foreign territory under a foreign government you give them one simple command to plant gardens why is because we are reminded that it is in the soil that you take care of that you water, you sustain, you mature, you give nutrients, and you nur nurture our bodies through this soil. And so, Lord, may we learn how you can continue to work in our lives in a simple and seemingly insignificant and mundane thing such as planting a garden. And so may we be a people of the gospel, a people who tell others of the good news through even our gardens that we can love and care for our neighbors because of a garden we planted. And may we grow into that richer and deeper relationship with you through the planning of that garden. And so may we see and surrender to your goodness this week. 
as we cultivate gardens and we take care of others. Lord, teach us and guide us in these ways. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.